I'm Ange. I walk the shamanic path and I have the best fucking job in the world. Every day I get to tell you I love you. Don't fucking text them. And I get to help people with their relationships um, using ancient wisdom from my extensive studies in shamanism. So I am along this path. I've been lucky enough to find a lot of spiritual friends and I have some not spiritual friends, but they're all funny and they're all beautiful. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about relationships and the things that that we deal with in them. We're going to dissect the twin flame trend and just talk about soul ties and healing in general. So I love you. And of course, like I said before, don't fucking text them. Work on your own shit. You, you are the problem. I'm sorry. You're also the solution. I love you. Well, we're back with season two, and I'm interviewing today someone that I have never met in real life, Ken Reed. So, KenReed.co, K-E-N-R-E-I-D.co. On TikTok and Insta, he's a counselor that helps men and women gain clarity in their relationships and or overcome midlife crises from his Insta bio. But I found him because he talks a lot about avoidant attachment and anxious attachment on TikTok. And I love his insight as a dating coach, a counselor, and someone that dabbles in tarot. So enjoy. I loved this conversation and it was hard to stop talking to him because I could have been I could have been new best friends with him. So have fun with this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I like I reached out to you because I obviously being a tarot reader and I've only been doing this I've only been on the spiritual path for a few years too like my TikTok happened accidentally a couple years ago and I started seeing clients and I realized like we all were having these issues so I went in search of of more context and I found shamanism and I studied it but I started as a twin flame channel and then like real shaman don't twin flames aren't real like that's not a that's not like a that's a new age thing but like it soon spurred into this whole anxious and avoid it it was clear I've always been anxious that's why this even started and then all of my clients are too so like I've gone down like I think that's how I found you in my FYP because you were talking about um anxious and avoidant um stuff but from a therapeutic lens and so I can't wait to get your take on it all (laughs) yeah no very happy to talk about it so um would you like me to start by sharing my two cents on it yes please yeah so I think the first thing I'll say is I really relate to a lot of people who have been in an anxious avoidant dynamic because it's stupidly common like it's Mm -hmm very very common where people are like yapping about narcissism as if that's like everywhere it's not avoidant yeah. and anxious, on the other hand massively common and i think that what's really frightening particularly the stuff that i cover in my content is when someone has been telling you giving you all these green flags suggesting that they want to take things to that next level only to literally bail abruptly and come up with all these excuses being like oh you know i just don't think i'm meant for a relationship if it was you know, it was meant to be, it wouldn't feel this hard or, you know, I just don't think I love you anymore. And of course it's devastating for the recipient to hear that because they've been led to believe that everything was hunky-dory until it suddenly wasn't. And there's a lot of self-blame, self-shame, and 
it can really, you know, set off a really massive, you know, emotional withdrawal for that individual where they can go through humongous pain, depression, anxiety, sometimes suicidal ideation, yeah. eating disorders. And it's very common, I think, for a lot of people in that stage to be like, well, how do I fix this? How do I get this person back? And being there myself, I know what it's like. And without being too blunt, the reality is, is that there is no getting these people back. Like, yeah. you know, unfortunately, it's, I don't want to make it sound too overly simplistic, but if they wanted to, they would. Usually they would like on one hand, they absolutely do have feelings for you and they do care about you, but they have no capacity at times to actually make it work because of so much of their crap and their trauma. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's what, like, that's when I first started doing readings, I'd be like, okay, well, yeah, like all the cards are saying this person cares about you and they want to be with you, but like they, they, they just have issues. Like I, I was like, sometimes as an intuitive, you can read more of what's going on with someone mentally than they know if they're not like if they have no awareness of their own thoughts or feelings i think like that's where it gets and and sometimes you can't and it's just our own delusion and anxiety that makes us go down this spiritual path too which is also scary right like i found myself in so many readings in the beginning just being like yeah this sucks i don't know i don't know what to tell you and the people the, what you said were like i don't know what to do and i'm like find a therapist i don't know <laughs> you know Quite literally. And I have people coming to me, a therapist being like, what do I do? And I'm like, that's a great question. I have no idea. Like, you know, <laughs> like, if I knew how to solve this problem, well, then I would be an absolute millionaire. But I got to tell you, until there's a solution for these individuals who the avoidance in this case, who want to actually work through their crap, balls in their court, I'm afraid you can't yeah. do much to change this. I know. And that's where like, when I found shamanic healing work, that was helpful because then I'm able to, so I kind of joke now that like my channel became like come for the toxic tarot and stay for the healing work because, because the soul retrieval process, like in shamanic healings helps you find like one hook and rewrite a negative belief around yourself. And like, it is really helpful, but you do it one layer at a time. So like, that's still it, the work. So most of my clients who do that, the work then becomes about them. And then through doing that they're like oh this person doesn't matter or i can just be friends with this person or you know what i meant they move on so that's been nice but there's a lot of people that don't there's a lot of people that just are still stuck it's two years later and they're still asking about the same person in every reading and they spent a lot of money asking about them yeah and sometimes it can last for a decade like i've met some people who are like to me i'm still not over this person and i get it you know like i mean on one hand, I can understand that if you're looking at these individuals, it's sad, but at the same time, like, you know, these individuals have been in some form of partnership with people they really loved and cared about, or at least they loved the idea of where this was all going. Yeah. And I think it's very easy too, if you're someone who's quite vulnerable to that, meaning that you haven't had a lot of, you haven't had a lot of stuff to look forward to outside of that relationship. You've also been, you know, kind of just going through the motions and then all of a sudden you date someone who lights up your world and you become mm -hmm. invested in them and their ambitions and their dreams. Of course, when they go, it's, you know, you have like a huge void where that happiness used to be. I completely understand. But the reality is, is that no individual should ever be your single source of happiness. And yeah. it's a really harsh lesson to learn. But the reality is, is that you are not responsible likely for a lot of this sort of stuff to begin with. You will be happy again and find your way to finding happiness outside of that person and most importantly healthy love should not feel like a huge like bullet train of love coming at you all at once that's like 
very love addict style stuff that's going on yeah so it's it's a tough relearning process and you're absolutely right some people and I think the other thing too is there's a lot of shame for people where they feel like why am I so caught up on someone that I only knew for such a short time yes sorry that's the way it is like you will probably <laughs> you'll probably bleed and cry harder for these people than you will for relatives who die like it's just yeah the way but why is that the way that's just how people are like that's that's what's so confusing because I think a lot of my clients too especially when I first started doing this I was flabbergasted because it would be like the most gorgeous women the first woman that ever booked with me on one-on-one had like two million followers on TikTok she was this beautiful young woman and she was like couldn't get over this piece of crap guy and I I I was just like geez it's not like just it's it's the people you would never expect too you know oh my god Yes, I completely agree. I've had similar sort of folk come to me too. And, you know, they're understandably really hurt about this sort of stuff. And they're still wondering, like, you know, how do I get this person back? And it's funny because this is where it gets a bit meta. But ironically enough, I think some of these people also have to come to face their own emotional unavailability. It's like, if you like allowing this person into your life, you know, you've also got to remember too that you know, you may have been looking for something in this person to begin with. Maybe it was like you thought you could get some independence out of them. You thought that you could get, you know, some happiness that you don't have for yourself. You know, a lot of these experiences are not authentic relational dynamics at all. Yeah. So they often shatter people to their core because it makes you realise you've been sort of, your personality in your entire life has maybe been built on a foundation of asbestos and it's time to clear a lot of that out. Yeah. Was it, I don't know. I feel like it was your content. It might've been someone else's. So forgive me if it was, but I feel like, I think it was you or someone else was talking about how, like, if you're anxious, you probably look for really quiet, stoic partners, like that seem grounded, but they're not, they're just avoidant. And it's because they're just shutting everything off. Was that you that was talking about? That resonated so much for me because I was like, I, my whole family was crazy growing up. So like when I met my person like this and he was so quiet and calm and I was like, this is so nice. He's so peaceful, but it wasn't, it's really, he's a mess, but it's all, he's just checked out. Yeah. I, I mentioned something similar to that, where I talked about how when you are dating, it's very, like, it's very easy for you to be attracted to emotionally unavailable people who look charming, debonair, put together and not emotional. And it makes a lot of sense because I think for a lot of people, they're looking to get away from what they had growing up. And it's very attractive. Like, I mean, I got to tell you the number of fantasies and dreams I've had of guys who would look, who'd fit all those boxes. I've got to tell you, like the minute that I realized my type was toxic has saved (laughs) me so much time and energy. It's been great. The unlearning process has been a bit challenging because normally, you know, I'll be honest, like I like me a toxic person every now and then, but mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where I've had to treat it more like a cheat meal, not as like, you know, a healthy meal that I can enjoy sustainably for a long time. I love that analogy though. It's true because it's like, I was the client, I was on with a client right before you who she was saying like, I know what's unhealthy. I stopped talking to her. It was a woman who had broken up with a woman. And she was like, and my friends all made me but like, I just have this panic and I feel like I need to get her back. And I was like, I, I you treat it the same way as like, I would love to eat nachos for every fucking meal, but I can it's gonna make me unhealthy and the same thing with this relationship. But I like how you said like cheap meal. It's like you can allow for small doses of those interactions. <laughs> hundred billion percent. There's, and that's something I always tell my clients is, you know, you can do whatever you want. I'm not here to give you advice on what to do anyways. Like, I mean, counselors and coaches shouldn't do that, but yeah. it's that whole thing of like, I can't stop anyone from exercising their free will. And often at times it's actually kind of good for people because if they, let's just say using your analogy of tacos, they eat yeah. too many tacos and they feel nauseous afterwards. Maybe it'll teach them not to have tacos. Yes. Similarly, 
if you keep interacting with a person who you know is unhealthy for you and only makes you feel unhappy, miserable, sad, depressed, anxious, maybe you should be thinking about how does this interaction contribute to your overall well-being? Because if the answer is it doesn't and you continue to feel like you're hurting yourself, maybe eventually you'll come to the conclusion that this is just not the interaction for you. I know. Okay. How did you get thrown into like this niche of it? Or is there just, as a therapist, is this just such a prevalent thing that it just kind of came up forward for you or? It's a really good question. Um, I guess for me, I had my own experience of this five years ago now, five, four, four years ago. And God, it does feel like five years ago. Um, <laughs> and I remember just to kind of give you like the, the high level facts. Um, I was in a month situation with a guy who I was just like madly head over heels for. And I remember that once that ended, I couldn't believe like how we'd gone from being so good to not. And it was just, it was earth shattering for me. And I think the other thing too, was just the shame of being so devastated by someone who I'd only known for a short period of time. I'm like, how does this work? Like, why am I so emotionally, why am I so emotional for the stuff, like the starters? And why am I taking like so long to get over someone I've only known for a short time? And I think in my own pursuit to get answers and to also, and this is very much a trauma thing. I think when you've been through a traumatic incident, there's this whole thing of wanting to reclaim your power over an incident. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of um, sexual assault survivors talk a lot about how they've had to sort of like, once they overcame that pain, there was an element of trying to reclaim their power from that experience, you know, vicariously through that perpetrator or in their art or in whatever they were doing and I think the same was for me and that I needed to find some way to heal and to also move on from this and part of my work when I started actually as a gay dating and relationship coach was I think vicariously going down that route I'd also been in therapy I also was studying to become a counselor around the same time I was starting coaching and I think one thing just led to another like I wasn't thinking oh you know what I'm going to do I'm going to talk about avoidance online like that yeah that was not something that I, I pictured myself doing. But then literally last year, as I started moving more in the direction of counselling, I created content talking about, you know, common avoidant dynamics. And all of a sudden, like, people just flocked to it because they were getting the mm-hmm. answers that they didn't have, that their partner would never give them. And I think that in itself is part of the healing process is that kind of like if you've been through a narcissistic relationship, but you didn't have the words to describe what that experience was about or what a narcissist is. It's like when you have the words for the context, you're like, oh, I get it now. It's not me. It's the way this just works. What I'm feeling is normal. And I think that validation is really important for a lot of people where that language hadn't already existed. And I think the problem too is a lot of education and literature on avoidance in particular is mostly focused on when they're in a relationship and they're wanting to work on a relationship but avoidancy is a huge spectrum and I gotta be honest like the majority are not the the healthy kind who are working through their shit the majority in my opinion are the very unaware I'm so stuck in my trauma but I'm looking like I'm fine kind of people and so as a consequence you know we are dealing with a huge number of people who are very emotionally unavailable yeah well and especially I think I don't know. I feel like I think everyone knows that, especially with COVID, like a lot of us all over the world turn to dating apps more because we couldn't go anywhere. And like those are just there's that's where the avoidant people are. Like, I oh feel my God, like yeah. they thrive on dating apps. Yes. And so it's like that's I think for me personally, like I got out of I had filed for divorce and I was so excited to like get back out there and find the right person, you know, and then 
I found this person that kind of triggered my whole thing and it was very avoided. And I'm still, of course, now I'm best friends with him because he's avoidant and that's what they, but, but that's a whole nother Oprah. But um, like, I think that it was such a smack in the face because I didn't know that as someone who had been in a relationship for 13 years and was like married and had kids, I didn't expect that's what I was going to find on dating apps because I just didn't know. And so it, I almost started doing this because I was like, I feel like I was like a lamb for slaughter. And it's pretty nice to be able to guide other people through that. Like, yeah. because I just, I was wholly unaware that like people would, I didn't even know that there would be people that would be really excited about dating you. And then like a month in would just like act like they never said it. You know what I mean? Like. hundred billion percent. I completely agree with you. And what's really scary. And I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this. Like, you know, you were in a 13 year relationship. Now, obviously I don't know how the context or the quality of that experience was, but like, I mean, how different is it from like going from a relationship like that to then being in a situation where, you know, it can be so frightening because, you know, the rug is literally pulled out from under you and it can be really scary to feel like, you know, not only is this the landscape of dating, but also like what, you know, did I do something wrong? What did I, you know, did I yes. my person, like my pre- my husband, my ex-husband, you know, for the wrong reasons or like, you know, <laughs> have I completely misunderstood my own responsibility in a lot of these situations that I've been into? Love to hear a bit about that because I think that a lot of people, especially who've had this, like have had an avoidance situation as their first experience may think heavily that it's them, not the partner that they were dating. Yeah, I did. So, and that's where... <sighs> I mean, it's so funny. Mine is, I I came out of my marriage having done 18 months. So I did 18 months of EMDR with a therapist working on my old known childhood trauma. And so I, and it was like, and then my husband and I had, while, while I was getting done with that, I thought I was done, you know, with the trauma work with my EMDR therapist. And um, my husband and I did couples counseling and got kicked out of that because she wanted him to do more work individually. And then he didn't want to do it. And so we just kind of were like, okay, well, that this is where we say goodbye. And it was peaceful. And, and that was okay. But we split up and I was like, we're both going to find our people now and this will be fine. But I did come out of it thinking he was a narcissist and I had all these really fearful projections. And like, when I look back at that, first of all, I have to say, I was in the beginning in that relationship, I was anxious <laughs> in the way back in the beginning and he was avoidant. And then we somehow flip flop once we had kids and then I became very avoidant and checked out the whole relationship. So I don't, so I was so excited to fi- find someone where I could like not be codependent with them. Cause I felt like we were doing everything. Like he, he loves doing everything together. I don't think it's codependent anymore. Now I think he just wanted a dependent healthy relationship and he's now engaged with someone else and we all co-parent together and it's great so anyway that's the whole like first part um is i did realize that part of it was me but i then i met this person like two months after my ex-husband moved out um and yeah when he stopped talking to me ken i was convinced it was me like i don't even look the same as i did during that part because i i changed everything because i was like well if i was thinner or if i was prettier or if this or if um i was smarter or more successful like i changed everything about my life because i was just like and it's funny because i'm friends with him now and i'll say um i will say and like we had a on it, we had a on it, we had a situationship until, um, quite frankly, until he got sober a month ago. And now I'm just walking with him as a friend through this. But like he'll be like, I actually liked how you looked in the beginning. Like, why would you now we can talk because he's working on himself? We can talk about these things. And he's like, I actually 
thought you looked better before. Like, I don't like the fake lashes or little bit injections or like I don't know why you ever thought that had anything to do with it I'm just not built for relationships like I and he'll 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 be like I was really clear that I just have a lot of issues and like I was like I know that but that's not what I heard because of my own trauma so like but it forced me I I went that's why I went at the same time I was going through this whole spiritual awakening thing like where weird things were happening with like Claire's and I was kind of going down that rabbit hole so like I did use it as like a spiritual awakening and I used all my triggers as a mirror for my own healing and like even though he I, but some of the worst things I ever fucking had I mean like most I feel like I I did re-traumatize myself during the past two and a half years just interacting with this man just because I thought it was gonna help me and it didn't it made me worse it made me worse so now I'm back in therapy <laughs> it's like I mean it made me better in some ways and worse in others if that makes sense it really does because I, I've heard the exact same thing happen from people where um, I can speak to my own experience with this too. It's like, I think it's that pursuit for answers where you get some, but it doesn't get you, I think, what part of you wants, which is a relationship with this person. I think it's no. very common for a lot of people off the back of that situation, like you described, a part of them is looking for answers to be like, can you please explain what the fuck just happened? But another part of you, I think, is still longing to get back with that person and to fix it and to make it work. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that relates for what you went through, but yeah. I think... I think it's on one hand, you do get a few more answers, but you don't get, I think, that part of you that wants that emotional connection with the person. So you just kind of are feeding on the breadcrumbs that this individual is giving you. And speaking to your relationship and how you notice that they were avoidant, and you even thought like at times, maybe even narcissistic, very common. A lot of avoidantly traded people have strong narcissistic tendencies. And what I found really interesting in the way you described your marriage was that, you know, you almost became what we call like, the um you were the pursuer originally but then you almost became so burnt out in that role that you became yes. more of an avoidant as a consequence and then I get the impression that he then started trying to pursue you at that point yeah. too that's very common a lot of um what often we find happens is that in relationships like that and you see even what you just described there like the difference between that relationship and the situationship like both different cases but both with avoidance and what's yeah. really interesting is that you know for you once you're sort of once your mental effort and focus had left trying to pursue your, your ex-husband, it's interesting how he started to like feel that sense of like, oh, actually I can come close to you now too. Mm -hmm. And it's not because you did anything malicious or you were trying to like game him into trying to do anything differently. It just sounds to me like you were like, I'm checked out. And then yeah. he was like, now I'm actually feeling a threat to my own sense of security. I need to go back into this sort of thing too. Often um, people find that an avoidant partner may show signs of change when an individual no longer actually cares about pursuing them or emotionally starts taking care of themselves to a degree where that person starts to feel safe to come back. But even then, it doesn't guarantee change. And even then, you know, sometimes that avoidant partner needs to actually lose you in order to go through the grief and realize what their actions have caused them in order to actually go through that process of change. It is not like, I think we oversimplify the steps being like, oh, well, we just need to become secure and everything will become hunky-dory. No, doesn't always work like that. And many avoidant partners will not go on to the next stage of that relationship with their partners. Yeah. And I will say, like in my ex-husband's case, um, the thing, even when he was pursuing it more and he wanted to work on it, he didn't. He was, and I think this is a good example of like what you get, even if the avoidance start pursuing you, 
he was doing external things to try to solve our relationship. Like, mm. oh, well, if I do the laundry or if I do this or if I do that, when all I wanted was presence and that attention as an anxious person, like that's all, you know, and he never understood it. He couldn't ever, he still, he couldn't ever wrap his head around it. And that, cause I think that's what you get. Like, even if you get them, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be like a secure attachment. It's gonna be, it, just, it never felt right. You know what I mean? 100%. In fact, I often say to my clients who are in this situation, it's like you're together, but you lack togetherness. Uh -huh. it's like you're physically with each other, but neither of you are emotionally connected at all to what's going on. Yeah. And even what you're describing about how your partner was doing all these external things, the word that came to my mind is it's almost like very instrumental. It's like he's going out of his way to do all these things, but it's because there's still no attachment involved in this experience. It's just very perfunctory. It's like, oh no, I feel good doing this for you because if I do, then you'll make me feel good by yes. you know, in this. It's not, I'm doing this because I genuinely know this is going to be you know, a positive thing for our inner world that we're co-creating together in our relationship. Yep. And I think that's, and I have seen that particularly in family dynamics where like, as soon as one partner checks out, that other person will go like, overboard and trying to bring that person back in but I think you know I was actually reading this yesterday it was a really great way of putting it I think typically that avoidant person you know if they are in a relationship with someone who is quite preoccupied or anxious they like their partner so in this case you to be the mm -hmm. vulnerable one so they yes. can maintain that independence and austerity because they don't want to have to deal with their own vulnerabilities and emotions so they, and that's why I always tell people like, you know, these people are built for narcissistic relationships. They're built for relationships where there's tons of problems that are coexisting in the relationship because then they feel like, well, then they've got, they're able to take care of it because the minute that they're with someone who's secure, where they don't, where they then become vulnerable, that can trigger all their defenses and they shut the hell down. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's so, and I think that's the thing, like, even with the situationship that like after my divorce that now is turning a friendship, but like it's, a, I've done enough work on myself to be, to at least show up secure most of the time. Like I still have my moments like, you know, anxious is my default, but through doing that, like he's able, I've been able to hold space for him and know at least it's not about me and put some boundaries in place. Like, no, I'm not going to be intimate with you because I just don't, you know, I, I, it's, I, I love you. You're great. But like, I prefer the security of a safe relationship and good communication. We're just not there. So like, whatever, you know, love you. I'm, I'm not going anywhere, but, and so just me sticking around, like for me, in my case, when it came time for him to like, I guess his drinking problem was a lot worse than anyone knew. And when it came time to like reach out to someone for help, it turns out I was his like main person in life and had no idea because he's so fucking checked out that like, I, you know what I mean? For all I knew. So like, I, I, at that point I was like, okay, well I'll walk with you through this. But like, I have to even keep reminding myself. Cause there's a lot of days where I'm like, how do I not end up with him? Like, you know, but it's, he's never going to be he's never going to want relationships or want to prioritize other people or and even him with sobriety like he's not going as far as to like really digging into his trauma and stuff it's just like a surface level like how can I be doing well enough to stop drinking and manage my anxiety so I can keep moving but I'm not going to work with a therapist on my personal relationship I'm just going to do the bare minimum to stay sober you know what I mean like 
100 billion percent and i think what you're describing is incredibly consistent because a lot of avoidance do have addictive tendencies and often many of them are full-blown addicts so mm -hmm. that makes a great deal of sense and i think also in relation to you know seeking a therapist or in this case not you know that's also very consistent too many avoidance don't seek therapy they think that like because again it, that goes against their whole ethos these people mm -hmm. have grown up i'm self-sufficient i'm an island yes. of independence but their way of life is so toxic for them and their, you know, the people that are around them too. Like it's very maladaptive. And so if they do seek a therapist, they're usually treating people like us, like an expert, like we will fix them and everything will be hunky-dory. It's like, no, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. In order to fix you, you need to go inside yourself and also open up Pandora's box, which is all that vulnerability, shame, and all that other stuff too. So again, it is very similar to narcissism in that these people do avoid the help, they avoid their shame, they avoid a lot of that sort of stuff. But there are humongous differences between someone with like full-blown NPD and someone who's avoidant with like just a style of relating to the world. Yeah, that makes sense. I think like ultimately though, anytime you're feeling like any partner of yours could potentially be either one of those like the bigger takeaway is just that like this probably isn't healthy for you right instead of like how do i label it so i can fix them i couldn't have said it better my reaction to a lot of this sort of dynamic is i always say how does this person make you feel how does their behavior make you feel because this is the thing that i think gets people stuck harder in an avoidance situationship than a narcissistic one narcissistic individuals typically are quite with all due respect cruel and also <laughs> very intentional about the abuse they cause to others whereas avoidantly traded people there's always this fleeting feeling of hope that people have that they can get these people i mean that can exist in narcissistic relationships but usually once the cat's out of the bag and they can just see it for what it is they're like oh i know what i'm dealing with this is this is what it is but avoidantly traded people not so much usually people still cling on to this whole thing of like oh but they're such a good person yeah oh, you know they're such an amazing human being they just have a few x and y related challenges regarding communication that maybe they're just not a good texter so it, it seems like it's just it's not that bad like you know they i think for people their definition of bad behavior would be like physical abuse yeah. gaslighting, emotional abuse cheating but, not, but avoidantly traded people can still be bad in their interaction for you because at the end of the day, you wouldn't be feeling this anxious if you were in a secure relationship too. So right. the move that I always tell people to make is stop caring about whether they're a good person or even a bad person. Start focusing on how does their behavior or lack of behavior impact how you're going inside of yourself. Yes. And I think, I don't know, I think it's hard, especially if you had like, the trauma of the ups and downs in one of these dynamics in the beginning. Like for me personally, now even trying to walk with it and be friends with him. And I'm in a place now where him and I have full transparency, like we share locations. He tells me everything, like he doesn't lie anymore, but I still cannot get over the trauma of like the lying in the beginning. Like, I don't, I feel like that's hard for anyone to do, like to really get over, even if for some reason they get better and things like, I feel like with that person, I'm always going to be waiting for the bottom to drop out. Like, I don't know if people get over that, you know, if you have that rocky of a start, like it just takes a lot. I mean, you could, but do you know what I mean? I think it just, you know, it not only destroys sense of trust, but it also makes you feel like, why would I want to go through that again? You know, right. I've already gone through it once and it was emotionally devastating. I don't feel like going back through the fire again with this person. Right. And I've had other boyfriends since I met him that I was really secure with and I was okay. Like I, 
nobody else makes me anxious anymore that's the, so that's the stupid thing but it's like this one person just can destroy your whole mental health and i see that with my clients too so it's like well then why would you want to do that 100 billion percent and i also would add to that too by saying Ange, like i think that it's very easy for people to i think people you know often say like oh i'm anxiously attached but it's like are you anxiously attached or are you anxious particularly in this dynamic yeah. that you're in because that whole thing can flip-flop depending on who you're with and the hardcore anxious attachers are the ones who continuously blow up their relationships with fights and you know drama and chaos and I'm not trying to you know to dismiss anyone who identifies as anxiously attached but what I'm trying to say is, is that I think sometimes people think that like oh I'm anxiously attached because I had one partner who was avoidant I'm like that's unfortunately part and parcel of the experience yeah. you've let, you know if you've allowed that person in you know by chance or by circumstance or you just didn't know any better which does happen and it's not anyone's fault you know you are probably going to feel so anxious in these dynamics yeah i mean looking back i was always anxious with every partner i mean i'm 43 i was anxious since i was 16 like i can i can track it but like insecure relationships things get easier like i think but i see what you mean i think okay so that's a good segue though for the whole tarot twin flame twist on this oh yes oh god <laughs> i'm like, like Okay, I'm about, to, I'm about to say something that's a bit controversial. I like the idea of twin flames, like the idea of it. Like, I really do. Like, I think from a romantic part of me, I'm like, it's cute, it's fun, it's, you know, who doesn't like the idea of it? Like, I mean, from a conceptual point of view, mm -hmm. where I absolutely think it's toxic as hell is the idea when we obsess over it and think just because I had this amazing chemical reaction by meeting someone who made me feel that spark and that, that amazing intensity. Like, I've had those experiences before, but, you know, I think the less I've grown attached to them, the more I've realized what they were, which was a disaster waiting to happen. So I think, <laughs> I think all I'm going to say is take this concept with a grain of salt. And even if someone pulls out the lover's card in tarot, it does not mean you're meant to be lovers. Maybe it was just an opportunity for you to actually gain some, you know, maybe to gain some healing. I've got some real actual spiritual lingo that I'll throw in in a minute, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw it over to you because I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. Well, Okay it's evolved so I was like totally when I first learned about twin flames it was from TikTok it was during quarantine and like I was all in I drank the Kool-Aid I was serving Kool-Aid like I don't I was listening to twin flame experts I look back and I'm it's so cringe like I don't know I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me but um so for me there was that I and then I found shamanism because I wanted to learn how to journey past lives to like understand it. And the first time I did a shamanic healing session for, so like I had all these clients who identified as twin flames and then I had worked on myself and I was starting to like, and I was learning from real shaman versus like, I am just a shamanic practitioner, right? Like I've spent, you know, two months at retreat overall learning this stuff, but I haven't been like in the mountains in Peru for years, like real shaman. So I'd want to make the difference because there's a lot of people on TikTok specifically identifying a shaman talking about twin flames. Real shaman do not believe in twin flames. Okay. My teacher will say like, sure, soul tie, soulmate, twin flame, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing, you know, like, so the one thing I knew right away from working on my own self and then journeying and um, doing shamanic healings and working on like past lives and stuff for other people that identified as twin flames is none of these people shared one soul <laughs> you know like that was made up that wasn't real at best what i saw a common theme is for most of these people you it's 
the, that spark I think we feel a lot of times when we meet someone is is can sometimes be a soul's remembrance of like someone we've known from a past life because I if that's within your um, cosmology you know like I believe in that so that's what I think it is when we meet it but that doesn't mean that yeah to your point that you have to like go you know get a mortgage and, and build a house with a white picket fence it doesn't mean you're going to end up with them like can I've talked to you in this life if I meet you in the next life I might have a soul's remembrance but it doesn't mean we have to get married because we just knew each other from this interaction right so like I, I try to I think that was the biggest aha for me like okay so I think all people that identify from twin flames consistently I've seen a theme of them having at least a couple lives with this person not always romantic but maybe some sort of karmic thing that happened in a past life that um that they have matching hooks like in in both lives like mommy issues and daddy issues or abandon like the anxious and avoidant things right so like it really i i do think from a shamanic perspective that we come to earth as souls to be able to heal our past life trauma and our ancestral trauma that's in our dna and then we we link up with all these other people that can help us do that so like this these types of dynamics are great for that if you're really going to use it to do the work um but no like you it doesn't mean you have to end up with them I, maybe you could but like probably life would be easier if you find someone that's not so triggering you know so no twin flames aren't real but i always say the twin flame journey is real and the fact that and like any of people who are on my TikTok live where I do readings every day like when they first are like I'm a twin flame so I want to know if I'm gonna end up with a person I'm like well the first thing I'm gonna say to you is if you really think you're a twin flame then no this is about your own healing so start if you want any chance at it start doing the work on yourself but like I think so I've kind of like I've kept the label because people know what I'm talking about then. And I think like the journey for anyone that's on that is one of reflection and healing. But like, you might think you're doing it to end up with a person. But once you get into the work, you're, you realize it's about you. At least that was my experience. I couldn't agree more. I, I love the way you describe that too. And I think you and I think the other thing too is I'm never going to yuck someone's yum. If they're the kind of person yeah. who wants to believe in the the, the gloss and the the shine of twin flames, hey, more power to them. But I agree with you. I think it becomes semi-delusional if you are going to use it as a form of obsession. And this is where I want to tie hard therapy with like spirituality sort of stuff. I feel yeah. like it's very easy when you are in a love addiction where you are codependent with an avoidant to, you know, and even, you know, other types of people too, like addicts, you know, it's very easy for you to become so obsessed with the, the vision that you have of being with this individual. And it's easy for that to happen because that anxiety that you're feeling can fuel a lot of that fantasy thinking and that whole obsession with being with someone who can, you know, fulfill your needs, can fix themselves and to live up to this potential. And essentially you're being emotionally unavailable in that situation because you're not accepting reality. It would be, and you would prefer to be with someone, you know, in a fantasy world rather than actually doing the work Mm -hmm. to realize this is not someone who's ever going to be able to meet your wants and needs in a healthy way so there's that thing yeah but, but that's a big what, thing <laughs> it is and it's a hard realization to learn and I think people want to avoid that because who wants to be you know who wants to have that earth-shattering realization that it will never be what you wanted it to be right like it's it's painful and then finally I think the other this is where I'm going to take it to another direction 
I actually partially agree with this whole idea of like when you meet some of these people, it can be a very sort of karmic relationship or it can be a very like healing sort of experience because I think it can in many ways in the sense that, um, but I, I again, I want to make it very clear. I don't think people may end up being with these individuals. It's more of just, I think that these people come into our lives because they show parts of ourselves that are yet to be worked on and, you know, also healed. And in many cases, I've had clients say, I felt like if my soul was drawn to this person, it was a real opportunity for me to clear out some stuff that I'd never had before. And it was the same for them. Mm -hmm. And whether or not they actually take on the lessons from this experience is neither here nor there. But I think that there is definitely an element of transformation that can happen from these experiences. But I will say that these experiences are usually a temporary one, not one which is meant for a long-term relationship. Yeah, I agree. I think I even when people ask like, is this person the one, is this person my soulmate? I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's a thing. I think we have an infinite number of soul ties because it's a loving, generous universe. And like, why would you, why would it, it's a scarcity mindset to think there's just one person for you. So like that's indicative, indicative of that anxiousness alone. Right. I don't 100%. know. Because it speaks to this whole idea of just like, oh, well, there's only one person for me. It's like, no, there's an abundance of people out there. It's just that, you know, you're enjoying the feeling that you have with this person, or at least you did enjoy the feeling you had in the beginning with this person. It doesn't mean that, you know, this has to be the one. And as a, you know, a colleague of mine said, you know, when you're in these experiences with avoidant attaches, they are transforming so much, like the beginning stage when it's all fun, when they shut down and they become a completely different person, that version of them that was great died at that point in time when they started yeah. to shut down. You know, you're now dealing with the person who is trying to create distance with you because they can't, they don't want to be vulnerable. It would tear them apart inside, or at least they believe it would. So, you know, it's coming to grips with the reality of that. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, just understandably can't get their head around it. I know. Okay. What, tell me what you think about these, like, manifestation coaches and this what is it law of assumption <laughs> oh and the law of attraction oh, law, like the the whole like manifest your specific person okay so really good question i okay again i like the allegory of manifestation and law of attraction like i mean i think there is an element of truth to some of that sort of stuff too however i think it's okay i'm gonna add some layers to this yeah. i think it is dangerous in the sense that it creates this expectation that if you do all this work on yourself that this individual who you loved will magically come back into your life and be this transformed awakened human being who wants to be with no i think yeah. there is a, there is a very dangerous edge to manifestation and law of attraction law of assumption people where it's this whole thing of like you know, if I do X plus Y, it will equal Z the result. And it's codependency 101. It's just yeah. that whole, it's that whole thing of like, oh, if I can fix this whole thing, it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> and I think, and I think a lot of anxious attaches, they actually come, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I came to therapy because I thought, oh, if I do all this work on me, then my person will come back to me. Yeah. They didn't. And they never did. And in the end, I actually was the one, you know, two years after the fact to go back to them and be like, I'm ending this myself because this is actually, this is hurting too much to actually yeah. continue holding out and hope for something that's never going to happen. And I've been so disrespected by this. I'm choosing to step away from this completely. I wish you all the best. Got to tell you, 
that's been the best thing. And even then, you know, here's the thing. Now this is where I swing to another side of manifestation. It is actually so much healthier for people to actually, you know, to create that closure for themselves, even with that person. Because if you are still holding that door even slightly ajar, then you are still enabling that person to be exactly where they were with you when they were with you in that relationship or situationship. But the minute you close that and cut that tie, you've actually given them the best opportunity to go through life, to grow, to change. And quite frankly, they either will or they're not. But why would you hold out and wait for them? There are so many other amazing people out there that you can interact with. So I think going back to this whole thing of like, what do I think of, you know, manifestation people and also law of attraction people, I'd say be very careful because a lot of them, quite frankly, are also avoidant and they also come from a very black and white thinking mindset where it's all very fantasy, magical thinking. But... Mm. The ones who are really grounded like yourself who actually understand this stuff know the complexities know the gray there is no set outcome for like how it's going to be like usually i think we have this thing of like oh, i'm going to manifest a house and a family and all this sort of stuff and it has to look this particular way if i have learned anything in my life is i do not know usually what's best for me i mean right now i'm in the process for example with my business where i want to move it more physical but the universe is just giving me tons of stuff online and i'm like let's just fucking take what i'm getting <laughs> Because even though I would like to get out of my home and actually have an office where I could be with people physically, you know, sometimes the universe is giving you the exact thing that you need and what you want. And sometimes what we think we want is actually not always best for us. Yes. And one of my teachers, he always says it's like um, you're co-creating with the divine. So like you set an intention of this vision of a life you want and then you let spirit fill in the gaps. Like you're not supposed to name the person or you're you're just supposed to name like I want a loving partner who supports and listens to me and I want to live in a villa in France or wherever it is. And then you kind of and then you do enough of the work. But I know I was. I before I found that I was I think for about a month I was in like law of attraction hooked me because I was like wait I can do this and I think like especially when they give you a couple like here's some little things you can do to prove to yourself it's right and I think in a sense what we see in our reality is kind of what's I mean it is what's within us but it has to do more with our brains can only wrap ourselves wrap like our reality, we can only take in so much information about what's in front of us, right? So we're seeing whatever we are. So like, I think that's the sense, but the whole idea, so like I use that to like convince myself I could manifest this person to be like a completely different version. And it was almost working for a little, I always say with with this um, manifestation stuff, like it always works until it doesn't. And then the crash is fucking hard. And it's like, so I, and and I think if, if you're a former people pleaser, and you're anxious and you have trauma from being like, for me, it was like all I wanted ever in my whole life was to do good enough. So people finally paid attention to me. And it felt more like that. It felt more of like, I'm still not good enough. I'm still not good enough. I have to do better. And that felt, I knew that felt dangerous right away. I was like, there's no way that like, if I just do better, all these people are suddenly magically perfect. Like it just, it felt counterintuitive while I was even doing it, you know? Yeah, and I can relate to that really hard as well too because I think that, you know, let's just take it like as a basic premise. If you're like trying to manifest a particular job, a particular person into your life, you know, it does, I think, become this whole thing of like, I need to constantly work to prove myself to get this individual, force this thing to happen. But interestingly enough, that runs counterintuitive with not only our soul and also what we're here for, but also more importantly with law of manifestation, like, you know, why 
should you be trying to force yourself into right. a manifestation in the first place? Like, you know, it, in my experience, it doesn't work like that. In fact, the more times I try to force a reality, the more I've actually, I could just feel myself. I'm like, I'm hating this direction. Yes. Like, I'm, not, I'm not enjoying this. And I think that's where our intuition really has our back. It's, you know, I think what, I think what I find is our, our brains understandably want the best for us, but sometimes we get so fixated and stuck on one thing. We think this has to be our thing. No, it doesn't. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, you know, like me going into counseling, I didn't think I wanted to do this because it didn't look as glossy or as interesting as coaching. I've got to tell you, I'm making more money and also enjoying my life way more as a counselor than I ever did as a coach. And just goes yeah. to show that sometimes we do not know what's best for us, but sometimes, but we can still manifest the things that we wanted in alternative avenues. Yes. Like I wanted, I worked in corporate finance for 22 years. I was a finance director for a Fortune 500 company. And then like this tarot thing just happened. And I have a nine-year-old son who was little. And when it, when COVID ended and it was time to go back to daycare and I had to go back to the office, he was like, why, why do I have to do that? And I was like, I don't know. That's a great, so like I was able to start doing this full time and you know, but yeah, I never would have like manifested that I become a TikTok tarot reader and a shamanic practitioner. Like it's, it's preposterous. So like, but I got the thing I wanted and I always wanted to be able to be like more of a stay at home mom with him and take him to and from school every day. So it's, it's better if you let the universe fill in that magic, like, percent agree. but I think it's, it is, it's, 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 I mean, I think trauma is the underlying theme of like all of these things. And like, that's, you know, we know that we know that. I don't think anyone would go get a tarot, love tarot reading unless they had some sort of anxious attachment, at least with that person though, you know? I can't imagine the avoidant doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I no. Like, I mean, it's, um, it's one of those, they don't care, they've checked out. They're like, nah, I'm done uh, until they're not. But like, you know, I completely agree with you. I think it's very easy for a lot of us in the anxious camp. And I mean, I considered myself more formally avoidant, but I definitely leaned more anxious more recently. I think that, um, you know, I think it's very much one of those things where we're looking for proof that someone cares about us, someone loves us. And I mean, if we've had a history of trauma where, you know, we never felt good enough, we never felt like we were enough, we were never lovable, you know, and other associated traumas there too, or that we need to somehow fix situations that have gone terribly wrong because we, you know, we're to blame, then of course, you know, tarot readings become incredibly practical because it's like, we just want control over our anxiety. We want control over the situation to feel like everything is okay. Like it's all going to yeah. work out. And I think this is where our learning comes into place where it's like, sometimes things are not going to be okay. And sometimes things have ended and it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's just unfortunate. And the one thing I always tell my clients is these avoidant anxious relationships and situationships, they're unfair. They're depressing. They're yeah. disappointing. You know, you didn't date someone who was, you know, a horrible human being. You dated someone who was messy and it's just shit that they couldn't be with you. That is it. I did a tarot reading actually for one of my clients recently who asked for it. And without going into specific details, it was just so clear as day that like this person had checked out mentally and emotionally. And I think that it's very easy for individuals who are anxious to try and cling on to any kind of hope that they yeah. can have. Like they'll listen to the words that we might use. Like I know some people will hear like marriage and think, oh my God, does that mean me? Is it marriage with them? And it's like, look, 
we understand you're in a very vulnerable place, but, you know, don't attach yourself too heavily to the words that we use because these words are really to describe circumstance. It doesn't necessarily mean anything to do with you as an individual. Right. It has that. I feel like I end up saying that every reading. I'm like, this has nothing to do with you. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I've never done a reading where I'm like, oh, they thought you were fat and that's why they're not talking to you. Like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't come up. It's, it's like, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I, I always keep saying like, find a relationship that, and I say this is someone who, tarot is my main gig. Like, that's why I make most of my money off of to support myself. But at the same time, like, find someone that you don't need tarot for. Like, 100 billion percent i completely agree and i mean i gotta tell you if like i had to pick some popular cards that i've noticed for like <laughs> for these sort of situations definitely page of cups knight of swords seven of swords yeah. and usually just lots of immature young energy like i never get like emperor energy i never get like you know anyone who's like a fixture like a king or a yeah. energy it's always that young immature knight or page energy that's floating around the ether and if it is a king or queen it's always reversed because it's like this person's checked the fuck out they're not actually focusing on what you're going through yeah and the point really is to say that i typically find you were dealing with someone who's essentially emotionally immature like you know there's nothing to grow from this no i know well i always i don't know king of swords always seems to come up for avoidance in all of my readings because they're just so like but I mean, who? That's that's the whole thing. Like, I find myself saying, like, I'll, I'll put some of these people. I'm like, I'll pull cards, but like, you need to not talk to this person. <laughs> like, and I'm I'm not saying this because I care. I'm saying this just because, like, you have to remember the facts that you just stated to me before. You just start we before we dug in. Like some of this, I was like, but that's just me. I'll set that aside and I'll do this from the non-personal. But like, it's you know. Some of it is hard to watch. <laughs> it is. I mean, I've had to be the bearer of some bad news for some people before too. And I mean, if we go to something like the King of Swords, you know, I can again, it really does beautifully speak to that emotionally unavailable kind of caricature, right? Because it's that whole thing of someone who appears secure, mm-hmm. appears, all this stuff sorted, is very intelligent, like very left brain dominant. Yeah. But when it comes to the emotions and being grounded, they left that shit miles away under the bottom yeah. of the ocean. Like the King of Swords, you know, is very much all about that air energy. Like, you know, you're Gemini's, you're Aquarius. Like it's very like up in the clouds. And it's great if you want action taken. But when it comes to like, you know, romantic stuff, I've had so many like reverse King of Swords where it's just like this person's focusing on everything but you. Yeah. Like they're just scatterbrained. They're not grounded. They're not focused on anything to do with like you in this particular moment. And I think that, you know, it's understandable why you fell for this person, but you're dealing with someone who doesn't have the capacity to meet you on this, on this plane of earth. Right. I get, I get, so I think I'm, I like don't follow anybody on TikTok anymore because it was so, I, I don't like the cultivated feed because I feel like it was making me worse and stuck in this place too. Like, so I try not to consume a lot of social media because it makes me more anxious. And like, yeah, I recently just went back to therapy because I feel like better, but I, but there's still like some really at the root of all the work I've done, it came down to this lonesome feeling that I felt since I was little and not being prioritized. Even if I'm in a room full of people, like having 40,000 followers doesn't make me feel like 
more seen or heard. I feel lonelier than ever. And so like I went back to therapy and it's funny because I wrote down what she asked me. So I only had one session, but she hadn't seen me in three years since this all happened. And she was and so she's like a trauma specializing therapist, too. And she was like, Ange, I got to be honest. It's concerning. It's a little concerning to me because you've put yourself in a situation now where your occupation is being the fixer. And I'm like, I know, but I don't. I help people find their own intuition. She's like, I know. She goes, you are not bound to the same ethical regulations as a therapist or a counselor, but but you're an ethical ethical person by nature. So I think I believe you're doing the right thing. But she wrote, she was like, I want you to take 15 minutes this week and tell me how think about how that working with that demographic, like for me personally, is limiting me for my own healing. And that's been a big I mean, like, I don't know, even as a, as a counselor, as a coach, like, how do you feel like, does that impact you kind of, or, or is your clientele base more diverse where you're dealing? It's not just all anxious people all day. Damn, that was, <laughs> like, I feel like that hit me as well. Too. <laughs> I know. Um, Cause I've, I've definitely felt that. Um, to answer your question, um, oh, my crowd is 90% anxious. Like, yeah. you know, and it's typical for therapists to have that as well too. Like yeah. I think, you know, as an anxious person, like, I think we're all very keen to want to work on ourselves and to fix ourselves so that way we can be more lovable and more, you know, more appealing to the, everyone around us. But I think the journey to self-love is a, is a never-ending one. It's a tricky one to have. Um, I think that as a counsellor, it's not been easy because it's it's one of those things where having what I call, like, reasonable detachment from your clients whilst also still being invested in them it's not a it's a tricky thing to sort of like to balance out and um it can feel a little bit lonely at times because you do feel like you know you're only pouring in you're pouring in a lot but you're never actually getting a full relationship from these people as well too so there is that aspect and I know for me one thing that I've really had to do and I'm getting better at and I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination is having better boundaries with my work and my, my, my client base as well too. Cause the reality is yeah. I can't, I, this is one thing I've had to learn for myself too, is I'm getting better at it is I can't fix anyone. Like I've just had to learn that. I'm like, no, I can't fix anyone with this sort of stuff. Um, I know my biggest challenge right now is that when I do get people who are quite desperate and looking for help, there is this tendency of me to be like, Oh yeah, I'll find a way to slot you into my calendar. And that's not really healthy for me because then I'm eating away at my own energy and my time. I could be spending on other projects and things. And one thing that I've had to do consciously is be like, I need to keep like interacting with people in the flesh because yes. it's so easy. And I think you can relate to this as a fellow yes. entrepreneur. It's so easy to be introverted, to just stay at home, do nothing. And it means that dating apps become a lot more accessible because it's easier. But then you're just playing into the province of these avoidantly traded people because that's their territory, yeah. right? So I think as a fellow, you know, I want to say healer or fellow practitioner in this space, I think the thing that I've had to learn, and this is partially why I want to move more into the direction of like physical work is I've really had to try and learn how to reclaim my time and energy because yes. I can't fix everyone. I'm not here. I'm not available for everyone. And something, and the reality is people aren't going to die. Even if they're feeling suicidal from time to time, you know, when they are in a, a thick of a, an avoidant situation, usually these people don't act on that suicidal ideation. Yeah. They're just feeling suicidal. And I've had to learn to myself to be like, trust 
that some of these people will be fine. They'll take care of themselves. I don't have to be that person for them. And it's bloody hard to like, let go of that anxiety of being like, oh my God, is this person going to be okay? Yeah, it's, I, it's so funny because I think, I mean, you have a following too on TikTok, roughly the same size as mine. And like, I feel like that helps you get better at boundaries. Cause I real quick had to be like, oh, wait a second. Like I can't be friends with all 40,000 people. Like, or I can't, you know what I mean? So like, I, it helped me, but it also made me a little more fearful in the way of like, I have to be really picky about who gets access to me. And it, so it's, it's been a double-edged sword, I think at times. Right. And I have the oh, same problem yeah. with like, I need to get out of the house more. So, and I don't drink anymore. And I've like, I've cleaned up a lot of my, so like I, and I also moved to a new city three years ago, right. But before I got divorced. So all my people are two hours away from me. Um, so actually this week I literally was like, I think I'm going to get a waitressing job one or two nights a week just to get out and be by people. Like, it's so silly, but just cause I'm not peopling, like not even to date, but just to like interact with people that are because because I think a lot of times too, like if I wasn't talking to people who were having similar relationship issues that I was having um, and I just was living a life and I had most of my friends were married or in healthy relationships and stuff like um, my mental health would probably be better. Like if you're just seeing a world of people getting along well and not having issues, like I just feel like that's I hate to say it, but that would be much better for my mental health than talking to people that have the same issues I just went through over and over and over every day, you know? 100%. I couldn't agree more. I do find it incredibly, you know, uplifting to work with people who have gone through the journey that I've gone through too, though. So yeah. I think it, it's, it's finding that balance between wanting to help a former self and also wanting to still be a better version of myself. Like it's that, yes. it's almost it's like setting boundaries with the universe. Cause it's on one hand, you know that you're good at this and you have that gift to help people. But at the same time, you are not meant to be all that. Like it's actually it's the same thing with a secure relationship. It's I think it's about finding that thing where it's like your job can't be your only source of happiness. And yes. also it's one piece of the puzzle. And I think that, you know, the pathway for security for people like us is a tricky bitch because it's that thing of learning to be like, okay, I don't, I don't need to be trauma bonded to all these individuals. Yes. I, I need to have much more intentional boundaries. And the thing is I had done a lot of work prior to the stage that I'm at right now. So I'm very aware of when my boundaries are getting blurred and I'm still no like expert at this by any stretch of the imagination in that I'm learning. I feel like even now I'm like, okay, having a certain number of clients in me is hitting my limits. I need to be more intentional about how I do this sort of stuff. So the point is no one's ever quote unquote fixed. And at the same time, I also want to say too is, you know, I think you relate to this, Ange, like I don't think life is meant to be, you know, in the bleachers. Like I don't think we're meant to be the kind of people where we exclusively, you know, are on an island where we're not affected by this. Like you're in the mountains of Peru. I'm on the beach on an island somewhere. We have to interact with people and obviously find ways to serve and work with them. But I think it's that thing of being like, okay, well, now that we've got the skills and boundaries and now that we know how to deal with difficult individuals, how do we still create time for ourselves outside of all the work that we want to do for others? And that's a tricky balance. Yeah, it's mirroring the same relationship stuff that got us into it too. So like, it's a good, I mean, it's all good work. It all comes full circle. But it does. I know. Sometimes it, it's just another thing for me to worry about. And she told me to only spend 15 minutes worrying about it and then put it in a container and leave it alone. And then I, I've done nothing but think about it all week. 
it's like, but that, cause that's what we all try. I think that's my whole thing on TikTok has just been sharing that journey is like, I'm no expert. I'm just a person like everyone else just sharing, sharing it and helping other people connect with their intuition. Cause we all have that. And like, yeah, that's the, the whole don't fucking text something started. And I hate it, Ken. I hate having to say it every day because it's so black and white and I don't, but like, it's been a thing that, like you said in the, the email when we first started talking, it's like a become the accountability buddy for a bunch of people. Yeah, and essentially in that sense too, like, you know, it's amazing that you've graduated from like the experience of being with an avoidant partner in an avoidant, you know, situationship where you're like, you know, I don't need to do this all the time. But I think that you're right. Like, I mean, it'd be no different if you were in, you know, Codependence Anonymous and you were doing accountability for the members who were there too. Like, yeah, you've graduated from that too. But like anything, like a university or a class or a college, it's, we're not meant to be there forever. Like it's no. meant to be a phase maybe of our recovery journey where we're like, we'll happily shepherd people into the next stage of their life. But maybe we don't want to be stewarding people like that forever. So I think that, you know, that's part of our journey. And I think for the avoidance, if their journey is on the other side of that, where for them, it is going to those coders, those SLAs, those alcoholic anonymous groups, and, you know, going through that form of work too, and actually working through that stuff because they need to go through that too. And it's one of those things where it's not easy for either of us, but at the end of the day, you know, it is building a better secure relationship with ourselves. I agree. Oh, I could have talked to you for hours, Ken, honestly. I was telling one of my clients that I was interviewing for this today and they were like, can you make it like three hours? I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to talk to anyone that long. But I mean, like number one takeaway, if there's someone still listening who considers themselves a twin flame and feels like they have to figure it out with this person, like what would you say to them? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and I'm serious. No, seriously, go for it. For the reason that it's either going to work or it's not. And yeah. I say that not because I'm being sarcastic or because I genuinely <laughs> believe it's going to work out. Maybe it will. I am no prophet. Like, I mean, sure, statistically, they don't usually work out. But in all seriousness, though, I found, and I'm going to explain the reason why I say this. I have found that by telling people it's never going to work out or it's not going to mm -hmm. happen creates added resistance where people try even harder. So I think that's why I'm now done. I do the opposite where I'm like, look, if you want to try this because your situation is unique and you believe that this is definitely meant to be, who am I to stop that person? I personally don't find that it works in a majority of cases, but why should I deprive you of that learning experience? Yeah, that's a really loving, kind way to walk with that. Yeah, I love that. I know. I don't I don't really yell at people as much as they well, who knows when I'm channeling or when I'm doing readings, I don't remember what I said the minute I'm done. So people say later, like you said, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's fucked up. I don't know why you listen to me. This is why I'm not a therapist. And I'm just a tarot reader. But yeah, I don't. I think the thing that I like being as a counselor is the fact that I'm like, well, I was going to say to anyone who's listening to that stuff, take what I said with a grain of salt, knowing that I, like I said, I personally would say, you know, be very mindful of what you get yourself into with these sort of things too. But even as a counselor, like I'm not in, like I don't provide any directional advice with any of this sort of stuff too. All of yeah. my opinion where I'm like, I certainly wouldn't be doing what you're doing because I don't think it works. But again, like we have to honor the free will of our clients. And so yeah. I don't believe in, you know, totally trouncing on their sense of free will to be like, no, you're never going to get with this person ever. You're <laughs> fucked. And this is totally doomed. Even if I think that sometimes the reality is that, but you know what though, I've actually found people heal a lot quicker and get to the realization a lot quicker if they follow their own devices. Like yeah. I've had so many people where they've just, I've let them do their thing. And I mean, like I personally, like one of my exercises, for instance, is 
um, write a letter to an ex to channel out all that love and affection you have for that person. Yeah. I, and of course, the exercise does not actually involve you sending that letter to an ex. It's not about that at all. But sometimes I've had people being like, I'm going to send this to my ex. And I'm like, if you burn want to. It. Exactly. I'm like, I would burn mine. But if you want to go ahead and do that, more power to you. And they've often hit rock bottom quicker. And I've been like, ah, now you realize why we don't do that. So, you know. It's, it's been, it's been teaching by proxy. Yeah. Well, and that's why I always say I learned everything. The reason I learned not to fucking text them is because I did it so much. And like, and so in my comments, a lot of times people will be like, I just texted them. So I'm always like, how did it go? And they're like, it didn't go well. So I'm like, okay, well, now, you know, Lesson learned. and sometimes you're supposed to, we don't want to become avoidant either. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta figure out what you're doing and sit with your feelings. You evolve beyond that, but it is, it is a good rule of thumb in the beginning, especially if you're in that I've sent 300 texts and I've called and I'm blocked and I can't stop. I can't uh, like regulate my emotions. Like that seems to be a lot of my core demographic. Oh yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say too is like, you know, hearing what you've shared, particularly, you know, at 43 and I'm 31, like I mm -hmm. think the thing is these experiences that we go through are timeless. But I think that, you know, these will impact people who are 17, 28, 31, 43 and so on yeah like but i think the key thing i would say is because you and i are both on this path is the minute you realize more about how this dynamic is playing out and your part in this the quicker it will be for you to actually have the relationship you really deserve with someone who can love you in a secure loving way <clears throat> and the journey to get there won't feel quite as lonely because you learn to have a lot more self-love for what you do rather than feeling like i'm never going to meet my person well said. That was that was a perfect way to end it, Ken. <laughs> Thank you. I don't want to drag this out anymore because I know you said you want to like you didn't want this to be a three hour podcast. No, I we, know. Even though we could. Well, maybe maybe we'll have to reconvene. Well, thank you so much. Like honestly, like this has been great. I love your content. I yeah, thank you for your time today. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was really good fun to talk about these topics. Yay. Well, good. I'm going to, when I, I'll, I'll take a clip too. And I'll probably, um, I usually do like clips on TikTok and I can take you and some of them, but there, nobody ever looks at that content. Like for some reason that content never gets over a thousand views, but I make it anyway. So <laughs> I'll link you in it when I do it. Oh, <laughs> I mean, like at the end of the day, like, I mean, I don't think it's ever really a big deal not to have that. I mean, I know some people love listening to podcasts, but it is what it is. I know. Well, people have always, my, I just, my rule has been like, I just do what people ask for. And like, I, I talk on live every day and people ask for a podcast. So like uh, this, I'm kind of starting season two. First season was just me talking nonsense with people I know and clients and family. And like, but this one, I want to start finding more like experts or other knowledgeable people to like bring in, because I think I'm just at a place in the work where like, it takes a village and, <laughs> you know, if we all all of us kind of like chiming in with similar themes it just, some people need to hear it a lot of different places before they get it yeah 100 billion percent agree and i think it's you know one of those things where you know on one hand it's good to give people what they want i will say sometimes people don't even actually really know what they want like i've had so many people on my content being like you need to talk about anxious attaches and their toxic behavior i'm like you've got thousands of other people who are talking about it online every time i talk about anxious attaches nobody fucking seems to pay attention to it I'm yeah like, okay, well, I'm going to just, again, it kind of speaks to this thing of like, I'm going to do what the universe seems to be telling me to keep doing more of, which is avoidant content. If people have an issue with that, that's not my problem. That's their problem. Like if they've got an yeah. issue that I'm talking exclusively about that, go find someone else to talk to. Like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing what seems to be working well for me. 
Yeah. And apparently I need to just keep doing yesterday, today, and tomorrow with the person on your mind readings because that's all anyone wants out of me. And so fuck it and whatever. It pays the bills. <laughs> it's a lot of, I know it's, I have to be non-attached to whatever. I mean, like, honestly, and at the end of the day, I think it's better for someone to get a tarot reading than to go blowing up their ex. So like out of all the things, you're not shooting heroin, you're getting a tarot reading, fine. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I feel like, you know, <laughs> I agree. I think, and I, the one thing I'll say too, out of respect to what you're doing as well too, is the fact that it's, it's a lot, you come from a very grounded place where you've been there and done that. But when you're dealing with, again, these very avoidantly styled tarot readers who, you know, do not often have your best interests at heart, who are very black and white and also up there with the magical thinking, mm -hmm. you know, that can be so destructive in the long term because they're not only financially abusing you, but they also can have the advantage of also, you know, um, of being in a distanced relationship where they don't have to think about how their actions are impacting you. So it can be really gnarly to get involved with these people where they are really just preying on you. Like dating coaches do this too. Like I see a yeah. lot of coaches. Yeah. We do the whole like, oh, just go no contact with your ex and they'll magically come back to you. It's like the goal shouldn't be to get your ex to come back. The goal should be, can we make a secure relationship out of this experience? And the answer 90% of the time in my experience is no, because no amount of no contact will fix whatever caused you to have to go no contact in the first place. Right. A hundred percent. And well, so the way that my, the two shaman that I study and under teach it is like, any divination it comes through the lens of our own wounds so just like if you have a cataract your your physical vision is going to be clouded right if you got cheated on really badly and you think all men are pigs like that's gonna all of your readings are going to come through that lens so like anyone doing divination really the responsible thing to do is take a lot of time to look at your own shit, know your own shit so that you can set it aside when you're doing the reading and do it from a non-personal place. And I hate to, I don't, I, I hate to like, you know, like you said, yuck other people's yum, but um, most of the readers that I even find on like TikTok and stuff, like really don't, appear to have taken the time to like separate out their stuff and especially these twin flame people when they're talking about like starseed stuff and alien stuff and like all this other stuff or like galactic and it's like they're not grounded at all in reality in the earth and it's just a little like be careful who you're taking advice from you know it freaks me out I would, I would add to that too by saying a lot of those people especially are avoidantly traded usually these individuals already have a lot of magical thinking because they that's how they cope with life they dissociate quite frequently because mm. they aren't grounded in reality at all so the concepts of aliens spirits and even stuff that i'm like look i'll give people the benefit of a doubt you know yeah. i'm not gonna again it's not about yucking anyone's yum it's more about be very mindful of these individuals who look Again, like it's just the same as dating. Like, you know, it's very easy to be trauma bonded to bad coaches, to bad readers who just occupy this emotional unavailable energy. And they do bleed that stuff into their work. Well, they'll tell you very like black and white sort of things. And, yeah. they, and they really don't have your best interests at heart. 
Right. I think anyone that's not saying like, take what resonates for you, like your own intuition should always tell you. And like you, um, I think the other thing is like all of us saying, this is just my opinion. I'm, you know, even if nobody's really an expert in your life, but you. So it's like, I think anyone that's not saying those things, that's the biggest like tell for me is the people that are finite on like, or they're calling themselves like, I'm the twin flame expert. I'm the twin flame master. I'm the, um, number one psychic i'm not the labels are what give it away you know what i mean that and i also find too i'm becoming a lot clearer on this because you know as someone who is attracted to those emotionally unavailable people i know that when i start to feel that pull i'm like ah i know what i'm dealing with here with some of these individuals like i find the more distance they look the more glossy they appear the more yes put together they sort of look i'm I have like a real eyebrow raise now where I'm like, oh, I can see what's going on here behind the veil and smoke and mirrors of what they've created too. Because even, yeah. if, and it's very true also for self-development because oh. a lot of the gurus who are out there doing that sort of work, again, it's that if there's very black and white thinking, you'll often find there's no gray or nuance in a lot of the work that they do. There's none of that complexity. A lot of the time it's very much catering to people who buy into, again, more of that magical thinking, that whole thing yes. of like, oh, anything can be manifested if you just put your mind to it. It's like within reason, sure, but what you want may not be best for you. And I think a lot of that necessary discernment gets lost in this messaging because these people who are preaching this don't actually have the capacity to provide that gray. They're very, very much focused on their image. They're focused on this whole like presentation and they're not focused on a lot of their emotional stuff. Yeah. And that's so interesting. You said that because like, I know on my daily reads, I use filters because when I do, I get way more views. And like, I know that more that when I wear more makeup or when I have my hair done or like those, that just, that all proves what you're saying. Cause it's like, it's like people are drawn to readings from that detached fake kind of like perfect image of, I don't know, that is the draw. You're right. I never thought about it like that. And I think it's because we've grown up in a very narcissistic world. Like I think we've grown up in a world which, you know, values emotional unavailability and the gloss and the image and that sort of stuff too. So how you appear matters more than the substance of what you bring to these sort of things too. And I think some people just can't hack it because they, I feel like to quote one of my favorite um, psychologists, you know, critical thinking has gone the way of the Blackberry. And a lot of the time when we're consuming content, we're not thinking and discerning like, yes, but what is the nuance in what this person is trying to present and trying to explain? And I think if we're looking at someone who just looks pretty, has our interest because they speak well, and a lot of these people do speak very well, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, there's no substance. Yeah, my daily, I mean, like, I'll be the first to say when I'm on live, I'm really genuine. And that's where I get most of my client base from. But like, there is no substance or like in my daily reads on Insta or TikTok, it's just it's just a minute of nonsense. And like, it's funny, people in the comments will be like, comments will be like, oh, I hope you feel better. I hope this goes, and I'm like, this wasn't about me. This is not me at all, but like, it doesn't matter. It's just an, it is an act. That's why I'm like, don't believe anything you're seeing on, it's a minute of content. You don't see me screaming at my kid two hours later because he's late for school or like, you know, that's not real. <laughs> What a surprise. <laughs> I, know. I know, but people are because they think they think they see you from like these glimpses too. And it's just like, no, we're all fucked up. Stop idolizing me. I'm not, it's nothing to be jealous of. Like, trust me. 
you know. And that's the thing. And you know, it's funny you should say that because I've now had to get to that point of being like, people are never going to fully understand me. And sometimes, like, if they have like, if they have a warped relationship, that's for them to figure out. At times, like for me, I'm just at the stage where I'm like, look, I can't control. Yeah. How save me and I'd rather be more down I this is the thing where I've been like I'd rather be as down to earth as I possibly can be given the circumstances yeah and people are either gonna love it or they're not and it is what it is me too I know well no wonder no wonder I liked your content because that's my mantra as well so well it's been it's been great Ken thank you so much and um yeah I look forward to more of your content because it's really helped me and I think it's helping a lot of people so keep making it for sure Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. A lot of, like, honestly, the overwhelming majority of the comments and the stuff that I receive is really grateful and positive feedback. And I'm really grateful for it because, um, like I said, I never thought I was going to be talking about this sort of stuff, but I think it's really important. I mean, for me, one of my big mission statements um, that I've got on my whiteboard is really trying to heal emotional unavailability because I think that it's it's a blight on this planet in terms of just like connecting with ourselves too. And the other thing is it's not a mental disorder. Like, you know, it's not as if like this is something which can't be worked on or it's fixed for life. It's a yeah. choice that was made way back when as children. And unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's like if people continue to operate and behave in this avoidant way, it's only going to keep fucking up the planet in so many other ways too. And it's just not what we need right now. Yeah, I agree. More connection is what we need. And so hopefully we see a change or not. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think it's probably gonna get, I think it's probably gonna get worse before it gets better. But I think that and look, I'm not I mean the scary thing for me is the fact that I'm booked out. Like I've got 35 clients a week at the moment too. Like it's just insane. Yeah. And I didn't try hard to get those clients as well too. Like it's just, <clears throat> you know, it's more just to say that. I think I think this is a real issue that people, you know, don't even realize is a real issue. Like, you know, we read books like Attached and we're like, oh, avoidant and anxious. But I don't think we realize just how problematic the situation actually is because yeah. of what we're living with. Yeah. My therapist, in fact, just told me the only reason she's booked out through June. The only reason she got me back in is because she had to fire a client the night before because she was not being good enough at boundaries. And I was like, oh, remind me never to get on your bad side because that's being I think if you're anxious and you get fired by your therapist for being too anxious, that would be like the worst. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, she had to have done something that really crossed boundaries, but I don't know. <laughs> does happen though like i mean i'm no stranger to firing clients too like i've had to fire some before where it's just like we're not a good fit or like you know i think you need someone else like i mean my specialty yeah. is i'm not i mean i consider myself you know educated and smart in the stuff that i deal with but i'm certainly no you know miracle worker for people who have got stuff outside of my area of expertise and sometimes people want fucking miracles and i'm like you've crossed the line like I, yeah I do that. I think, and what she had said too about she, all she said, this is all she said, but she just said like, sometimes clients go into, they use the work as a way to just stay stuck in and relive their trauma over and over instead of moving past it. And that's when she fires them because she's not going to be part of that, you know? No, because then you're enabling and also creating a codependent relationship where yeah. people just want to talk about the thing. And I'm no stranger to that. Like I've, I've done that again exact same thing too it's just like oh I, you know I had, I had someone once who I think just wanted to recreate the fantasy of being in a relationship that was clearly toxic and they expected me to just you know get them what they needed and I'm like I don't do that like you know I'm not I don't have the capacity to actually you know give that to you and I think yeah. it's one of those things where 
you know, we obviously want to, and this is where real compassion fatigue can happen for people who are like you and I, where we're very good at listening and validating people. It's like, we're not on, <laughs> we're not on tap, you know, like we don't have unlimited compassion for people. And I know for me, the minute a boundary is crossed is when I'm worrying about someone outside of session or I care too much about what's going on before the next session. The minute that I start having too much emotion around a client is the minute that I know something has just been crossed and we've got to fix that ASAP. And if it doesn't get fixed, that's a good reason to be like, we need to move on. Yeah, that's really smart. I think for me, like and all jokes aside, I'm so air, like I'm all Libra and Aquarius energy. So I always joke that like, I don't remember anything and I don't care because it's like I do a reading and it's in one ear and not the other. And I really don't carry people's stories with me. So that's a blessing for me. Like, I guess I, I can be someone that's now I'm just validating your theory that tarot readers are avoidant, but I do care, but I don't, I also went through the shamanic medicine wheel. So I know enough to know like everyone's on their own path and like, I'm not responsible for what other people do ultimately, you know, I'm not going to damage them further and I want to leave them better than I found them. But like, I can't fix anyone. Well, that's maybe more of a secure stance. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. It's more of that healthy boundary of being like, I'm here to validate what you're going through and provide you with honesty and integrity, but I'm also not going to be, I'm not going to enable how you're feeling and just be part, a participant in trying to fix you. It's more of like, yeah, I will sit with what you're going through, but I'm not going to be the one to provide a ladder for you. You need to provide your own ladder to get yourself out of the hole. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whereas right. the avoidant would be like, just think about it and it will happen. <laughs> I know. It's uh it's like a it is a big rat's nest. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, it's good it's you and I have job security at least, so we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna be uh, it's definitely not gonna be an issue for, for well for us in terms of job security, no. And it was so good meeting you. Thank you so much for inviting me to this. It was good fun having this conversation. Thank you, Ken. Have a great day since it's morning there. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited for it. I've got nothing on for the afternoon, which is great. <laughs> Good. Go relax. <laughs> I will. See you later. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.